Hello there, this is Fiona, host and main GM for What Am I Rolling, a twice-monthly RPG one-shot podcast. This is a bonus Q&A episode to tide us over to the next one-shot, and it is indeed a very special Q&A, as a few weeks back I had the absolute pleasure of interviewing Mikey Ham, the writer and game designer of Slug Blaster, a tabletop RPG about small-town teenage hoverboarders who sneak into other dimensions. Many of you will know that I recently ran a one-shot of Slug Blaster right here on this podcast. It's episodes 68 and 69 if you want to go check those out. I have to say it's been one of my favourite sessions to run to date. I really enjoyed the aesthetic and the possible world-building this stripped-down Forged in the Dark game system provides, as well as the flexibility it allows players to just get creative with their game moves. The Kickstarter for Slug Blaster has recently finished, but the backer kit will be open soon, so I can highly, highly recommend checking it out. I'll put links to Mikey's work and recommendations on the What Am I Rolling website and in this episode's show notes. You can also find out more about Slug Blaster and join the official Discord server on their website. That's www.slugblaster.com. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, who are you and what do you do? Sure. Uh, I'm Mikey Ham. Um, I uh, live in uh, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. I'm a dad. I have a three-year-old daughter. And um, for my day job, I'm a support worker for a man with autism named Anthony, and I help him with his um, business. He has a delivery business, which um, me and his mom co-founded with him. Um, and that's what, yeah, that's what I do for my day job. Nice. And tell us a bit more about Slug Blaster than this game that you sort of kickstarted. You do have quite a variety uh, of stuff that you've done in your background. You're quite a, a very skilled professional, I will say, looking at your website. So <laughs> going from all this sort of bit, all these different projects and stuff, what made you go into writing your own games? Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit of a creative generalist, I guess. I, I really like making things and I sort of like the challenge of sort of um, learning new uh, new forms and mediums. So I've sort of accepted that about myself that I, I'm going <laughs> to sort of migrate to all sorts of different areas. But I've always been a gamer ever since I was um, young. And uh, but my 20s was my creative life was mostly about music. Um, when I stopped doing that, the fact that I stopped doing shows right around the time I met Stephanie says a lot about the reason I was doing shows in the first place. <laughs> once I stopped doing uh, music, I sort of had a creative void to fill. So um, I started writing more and getting into indie RPGs um, and stuff then. And that's, that's sort of when this chapter began. And so how long would you say you've been playing role-playing games for, either playing in them or actually running them yourself? Yeah, I, I've played my first game of D&D when I was 14, and I've basically been playing um, regularly since then. I've always had a game that I've been in or running. Um, mm -hmm. It's sort of been the, yeah, the background, the hidden background hobby of my life for many years. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, that that's, you know, and of course, before that, I was doing anything and everything that was role-playing games without being a role-playing game because mm. I just hadn't discovered them yet, you know? Yeah, you, like you said, you had this sort of a, a musical background that obviously I feel like anything yeah. creative lends it into sort of like they're all connected in some way. So that's that's oh, really awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I feel when you have a few different um, mediums that you sort of played in, you you see those similarities and, and you, you see how 
something you learned um, editing video now applies to um, you know uh, to editing a role playing game or you know mm-hmm. or writing or you know it all sort of flows together. So in terms of like your know, writing in general, because obviously, like you said, you've mm-hmm. done some you've done some short stories and stuff. I saw on your yeah. course as well. They seem to be particular horror oriented and stuff. Is that like your favorite genre, or is it just is that one of many things? I guess. Yeah, I I really like horror, um, uh, but it is just sort of one of a few things I tried. You know, uh, I have this thing. I I realized the other day this might be not the best way to live. A life but i have this thing where if i find something i really like mm-hmm. i want to try it myself i want to try making it myself and a lot of times um it's really fun but w- sometimes it ends up with a period of time where i can't enjoy that thing anymore because it i'm too too stressed with because I, I also do something when i'm working on my own project i try to in a lot of ways um i try to isolate myself from a lot of things similar to it just mm-hmm. just to sort of stay in my own little little space with it mm-hmm. and so yeah when i was writing i loved horror and love i'd still do but when i was writing that horror story i i couldn't i couldn't watch a horror movie because i would just be thinking about my own story the whole time and so oh. so i realized I, I think i might i might have to be aware of that and and if i find something i really really love i might just have to tell myself i'm not allowed to try it because because <laughs> i have to keep it for myself for my own enjoyment you know but that's that's absolutely fascinating actually yeah i totally see that side of it like i i do mm-hmm. a lot of improv and i, I absolutely love it yeah. but i've been reading loads of books on it which is great but then when it comes to then reading it and then thinking about it i'm always in my own head because of stuff i've read so it got to the point where I had to stop reading it because I'm during you know lockdown and stuff. Uh, everyone's been doing more and more stuff online, but I was really struggling to read anything fiction uh, wise. Yeah. So I prefer like nonfiction, like as if it's like a goal in quotation marks. Like oh, yeah. I, I've done a chapter today. I've made notes, which again maybe isn't the healthiest thing to do, but it gave me some structure. And there's definitely it's, it's that sort of. I don't want to say the word obsession because that sounds like it's a bad thing. When it's when you're passionate about something that you yeah. know it inside and out, that you right. get to a point you're constantly referring back to it when you're watching the, a film of it or, or something like that, and you're like, but it's it's not how you picture it because you've built up this amazing knowledge and wealth, and you're working on your own project. So I completely agree with that. That idea yeah. that you just are. <laughs> yeah, I I know I've heard interviews with a lot of comedians who say like when they go home they they can't watch comedy to relax. They have to watch mm. like true crime or or something like that because even though they love comedy, it's just not it now can't be their comfort food anymore, right? Because it's also their job. So um, mm. so I think that's something to be aware of for sure. But but yeah, I, I love horror. I I loved writing those horror stories i also just like writing um anything i like writing other uh, anything sort of with a bit of wonder and uh <laughs> and yeah. humor in it so yeah. yeah like like just the extraordinary well that, that, that's actually a really good segue into slug blaster mm. so can you give us a, a sort of a brief overview of what slug blaster is and how it's different to other forge in the dark games for us Sure. Yeah. Well, um, as for how it's different, it's, well, it's a smaller, um, brighter game than Blades in the Dark. It's a bit faster too. Um, Blades is sort of like eating a rich meal and Slug Blaster plays a little bit more like uh, popcorn. Um, <laughs> I just tried to make the game um, smaller and lighter and smaller and lighter, um, just sort of out of my own... Uh, yeah, that's that's the kind of game I like to run, and um, mm-hmm. also just sort of knowing that there's so many great games out there that I I didn't really want to make a game that people had to play for 20 sessions in order to finish or to get the full 
arc of and experience mm-hmm. of. So I wanted to make a game that, you know, people could play play a few sessions of and really get it. And then if they want to play more, there's certainly room to, but mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure that they got the entire experience in a, in a few games or even in one game. That's why I made Slug Blaster Turbo, the, mm-hmm. the one-shot version that you played, so... Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, as for the premise, I mean, you're teenage hoverboarders, you sneak into other dimensions as a sort of thrill seeking, fame seeking hobby called slug blasting. It's sort of like the new dangerous teen trend or like the hot new skateboarding like subculture. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you film yourself doing tricks and you, you live stream it and, and your runs to those other worlds. And um, yeah, the, the touchstones often I use are, I say, Big Hero 6 plus adventure time or maybe midnight gospel plus um this movie called skate kitchen which Mm. is this amazing movie about a crew of real girls skateboarders that uh touches on a lot of the sort of um teenage life and and home life stuff that slug blaster does nice oh that's cool i hadn't heard of that film before so i'll put it on the uh, yeah it's really good it just came out in the last couple years but um it really when i when i was watching i was like i was just like okay this is the one that uh this is the touchstone for Slug Blaster for the for that side of it. Yeah. And then yeah, the the gameplay loop of Slug Blaster is pretty simple. You there's two resources, style and trouble, and you you sort of go into these dangerous worlds and try to collect style points. They're like, I guess, the treasure of the game <laughs> um, by doing risky things in cool places. And then you try to gain as few trouble points as you can. And then when you get home, you sort of get to do, I call it shopping for scenes, but you get to sort of spend those style points and those trouble points on different scenes and events that trigger. So, you know, you might spend some style to get invited to a a party or recognized on a street or get your name on a shoe, but you might also spend trouble um, to, you know, you get grounded by your parents or, or have a get dumped or, or, you know, all these other sort of typical teenage mm-hmm. um, tropey things and that sort of, and then you go out and you, you get more and you do it again. So that's the, that's the loop. So. The thing when I was reading through sort of like you said with Slug Blaster, again, it's it hits on those touch points where it's like, again, you don't need to know everything. Like you referred to it like it's getting parents into a panic a bit like how D&D did back in the day and stuff like that. And it's just all those little things that I think everyone can connect to in some way. And I just, again, for me, when I was reading through it, I get very big sort of Back to the Future vibes. That's sort of sort Mm -hmm. of the the, the visual of it. Again, because I think you you drew all the original drawings and stuff as well. Oh, no, um, I am an an artist. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I do some my own illustration, but I wanted to get something a little extra good. So I, so, so I found an artist named Scott Ford who can just do so many things that I couldn't ever do. So um, yeah, Scott A. Ford is his name. He's an amazing illustrator and he did the cover art and, and um, he'll be doing all the art for the book too. Yeah, so if you if you have a chance to look at it, it is, it is one of those things that is definitely very, very eye-catching and, and pops off, certainly the screen. So it's very it's adventure time. I, again, I sort of referred to like uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2. Yeah, uh, that's sort sure. of Yeah, that's sort of the visuals of that was really cool. And I think what I did like about it is that you don't necessarily need to know all these things. Again, you have, if you know of a concept of parkour and all that sort of thing, there's that actually mm-hmm. a little bit off tangent. I, my flatmate sent me a, a link to Pro Tag, which is uh, basically, mm, yes. yeah, I don't know if you've seen it. It's just like this huge structure and you have basically a game of tag, but with people who are 
parkour uh, athletes essentially and that wow. is incredibly like it's incredibly impressive how they do it like it's probably going to be a new sport or tournament um, yeah for sure and that, again just getting that, that vibe as well just to, people who are so quick at just doing these amazing skills and that being all mm-hmm. recorded on a very cool like a gimbal-esque thing you know getting yeah. shown yeah so, and it just yeah so it just hits all those things so i feel it's very very accessible to anyone who's played who's interested in doing rpgs but not sure and like you said the the forged in the dark system from blades in the dark it is very sort of uh, grim dark as well like it's uh, blades in the dark is really cool but again if you're not into the setting of it i feel sometimes you're a bit like well i mean it's, it's basically victoriana with ghosts and steampunk and stuff yeah. what you've done with the system that like slimmed it down and making it really really simple like the idea of style over sort of trouble you know get more style points that's good get less trouble points that's also good so it's that yeah. i really really like that as a, as a concept yeah, no, I, I, well, I'm, I'm really glad. I, I'm glad you think it's accessible because a lot of times it sort of feels like this strange Frankenstein's monster of a, of a, of touchstones. But I think, I hope it, it is something that even if people haven't heard or thought of it before, they get how it would fit, how it would fit in right away, mm-hmm. right? With like, like, oh, of course, yeah, this, you know, if there was this, teenagers are always doing um, dangerous, risky things and mm-hmm. to try to, to try to, um, make an identity for themselves and and impress their peers so like okay so yeah if a teenager could go into another dimension of course they would right and mm. and of course there'd be sponsorships and and um companies trying to sell them gear for it you know that i tried to make that all make sense um it just it, intuitively and everyone's also been a teenager um and so even if they don't connect to the other stuff like a lot of people who play test with me don't know anything about skateboarding or, mm. or any of those tricks or anything like that but they often just have a lot of fun being a teenager mm. and um i know subblasters by far not the only game where you get to be a teenager but i think it's still a rare enough thing in in role playing that people just have a lot of fun just being a kid in that especially that first hour right they mm-hmm. i've heard that in the game you ran you know just yeah. people just loving being these cool teenagers right and and it's you could almost just as a gm stand back and let them just go at it for hours you know in homeroom or whatever mm. right before you're like okay let's let's get an adventure going because they just tend to have fun being kids that's a really good point you sort of brought up there there are plenty of role-playing games out there that you know you are a teenager in some respect from what i remember they mostly are romantic ones or horror mm-hmm. ones so like yeah. um uh monster of the week or, or um oh what's monster it called hearts. Mon- they, I, yeah, mon- yeah. <laughs> i was like i'm sure it begins with monster as well yeah, yeah. monster hearts or, or tales from the loop which is about mysteries and and things like that yeah whereas so. this whereas this one with slug blaster it's it's nice to have a game that's centered around a collective uh like a, a sport in a way again yeah but it's, but it's yeah it's that something that's passionate isn't it well yeah it's an it's an action game right so mm. um and yeah i i mean i love mystery games and i love horror <laughs> games and all that stuff but i i really wanted to make a yeah an action game where that was the you know the lasers and and chases were the, sort of the focus yeah and i think for me what I, because I've never really ran uh, Forge in the Dark games before. I've played in a, uh, like Blades in the Dark a few years ago, and I, I remember what I do like about that system is that, again, in case you haven't listened to it, although you should listen to any of the one shots we've done on uh, Why Am I Rolling, but especially the Slug Blaster one, is that the game mechanic is so simple in the fact that you roll at least one d6, and then using any skills or kicks or, or anything like that, you roll the d6, and then the highest number shows how much success you have. So a six means you succeed. Uh, four or five you succeed but there's a problem and then one two or three uh, you don't do it and there's a problem and i just thought 
I like systems which are just very straightforward like that. Like I think we get, you know, obviously, and there's no, nothing wrong with having crunchy systems with lots of numbers and trying to work stuff out. That's fine. But I feel now nowadays, especially if we're doing more and more online gaming, the last yeah. thing you want to do is spending hours totaling up scores and stuff like that, especially if you're if you're not in the right headspace for it. So I just quite like being able to be told that like, you succeed, there's a problem, you know, mix success yeah. and everything. And I just think it allows so much more for storytelling and adding flavor to yeah. it, which I think, and it's and it's not just for the GM to run it as well. It's for all the players to add that flavor to it. So they know like, oh, something goes wrong. Like you could definitely ask them, so what do you think goes wrong? Yeah, And I, I just sure. like I just like that flexibility with, with uh, Forging the Dark Games. Yeah, me too. I love that. Yeah, sort of that those narrative results, right? Um, mm-hmm. Which are great. And I know as a writer, that really connected to me because um, the best writing advice I ever got for writing fiction was for every scene that you sort of ask the question of what were they trying to do? And then the answer has to be yes, but or no and, right? In, in fiction, um, because you want the story to p- keep propelling itself right until maybe the end scene where where they can have just a, a solid yes, you know? <laughs> yes, yes, they succeeded, but but you can't, you can't leave it um, in fiction um, until you get to that point. You always have to have something that's going to keep propelling them forward. And I think that's, that must be what's inspired this, this, all these indie designers who, who, um, you know, really, really invented these kind, these kind of uh, fail forward mechanics and things mm-hmm. like that, right? So. Yeah, definitely. And I, again, um, you just sort of mentioned earlier the uh, the Slug Blaster Turbo, which is your uh, even more streamlined version of uh, Slug Blaster. And what I, I was going to say, appreciated it, was that you you created it originally as an accessible online document, which yeah. I, which I, I the, the reason I sort of mentioned this is because before this sort of thing shutting down, I did a lot of my gaming in person and recorded in person and. I mm-hmm. rarely did any gaming over the internet just because I was like, well, I'd rather go see people in person and stuff like that. But obviously since yeah. everything's shutting down, obviously all of the stuff has moved online and being able to have accessible guides that I can send to people that they can read and then we can collaborate on together. It's incredible to see how many RPG books aren't in like a just simple uh, like text with fonts you know just simple fonts so that you can read them sharing yeah. like a, a, a document and then transcribing it over so I, again I just again I know it feels very self-congratulatory <laughs> but I think yours was the first game I saw and I was like oh my goodness I could just share as is and I don't need to edit it at all it's very straightforward oh uh, well I'm just so happy because I, I, I kind of felt like a big swing to make this game entirely in Google Sheets because I was like, this will either be this will either serve the exact purpose I want or it will be a complete flop like thing. That and I, I think the result has been sort of mixed where people who actually use the document to play love it because it is, it does really work to use a shared Google Sheet to play these this the game. It really does work, but. The problem is it's not super fun to buy a link to a Google sheet or to even just read on your, you can't really read it on your phone. So Mm -hmm. I did, I did just this week, make a PDF, a traditional PDF version of the one of that one shot kit, which people can now get. And, and people, a lot of people, I saw a lot of people come over the word work and be like, okay, got finally got a chance to read this really like it, you know? And, and I could just tell like, yeah, of course you didn't want to just read a bunch of tabs in a Google (laughs) sheet. Right. So I think that's the thing. It's, it, it comes at that difference of a lot of times role playing games are two things. They are the system system you use at the table to actually play a game but in a lot of ways they're often just books that people are reading for the mm-hmm. enjoyment of reading them mm-hmm. um because you know i think it's very disproportional the amount of 
game time people have versus the amount of time people like reading and thinking about RPGs. Mm -hmm. And so um, a lot of times RPGs, the main use of them is to be read and enjoyed by the reader. Mm -hmm. And then or that's maybe the main use as far as like quantity, but obviously every game designer wants their game to be played more than anything. Right. So yes, exactly. you kind of have to balance those two things. No, I, I, I completely agree. It's, it's definitely something I've discovered running games in the pandemic is that it's always, I quite like it. So if the resources are there, but they're not necessarily tied to a platform. So I, obviously you mentioned their Google docs, but it means yeah. you can share them with someone who just with a link and they don't have to have a, a login to use it whereas yeah. if you have a roll 20 or roll 20, yeah. yeah all that sort of thing which are also equally good platforms if you are already connected yeah. to them but i feel like the the barrier to access certainly when, when it's just an online accessible sheet like that and especially if you're getting new people into the into playing rpgs or even running them there's one of those things where like certainly for me like i really struggle to read huge pdfs as block text myself like, yeah. I, I can do it but i have to very shamefully i have to take the text off the pdf and put it into a word document and then oh, edit yeah. it yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just because so, then it will go through and read it and it's just because normally i read print books and and yeah, i don't do that yeah. anymore because i'm not commuting anywhere <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> so right it's that sort of thing where again it's and of course this is for like you said like some people would only read pdfs instead and that's t- totally mm-hmm. valid as well so it's just nice to see i guess and I'm, I'm sure you had this off off the bat it's just be able that everyone can access it and yeah i think yeah. there is something about uh yeah I, I definitely see that for people just reading books but never never playing them and that's a really yeah. interesting thing I, again for me i almost like, i get very excited and i go well i want to play mm-hmm. this now i want to run it and yeah. see how it works but again not not everyone can do that or wants to do that and i just yeah absolutely yeah i think the daydreaming is a huge part of the hobby right like mm-hmm. i think i think that's where a lot of the value comes comes from is the anticipation before the game right mm-hmm. uh, of the wow what will my character be and you know fiddling with this little thing mm-hmm. and so i think yeah i think a lot of people have different RPGs can be a lot of different things for for a lot of people, right? And mm. so, yeah, as a designer, that's a challenge because it also means everyone wants a slightly different format and things. So you kind of have to keep those different design goals in mind. At, um, and you're never going to find the perfect balance. You, yeah. but you have to. But the more you at least know what the design goals are, what the context that people are going to be enjoying your thing is, the better you can probably do mm. at least striking your own vision. Mm. And the other thing I quite like, so not only are these Google Docs, I know we're talking a lot about Slugbuster Turbo here. Yeah, good. (laughs) What I quite liked about it was that obviously for the players, you got that all, but you had at least two sheets dedicated for the GM, which could help you randomize monsters and encounters and stuff. And as there for inspiration. And honestly, that is so helpful. Like, again, when you have like quick start things, they are there. But that extra sort of, um, I guess on your side, obviously a little bit of formulae or whatever, just in the Excel spree, but it helps so much because then you you could just randomize it and go, ooh, that sounds good. Or if they don't like it, they could just do it again or pick. And it's just nice to be able to do that so quickly. Yeah. And anyone can, well, if the players are looking at the sheet, they can see it yeah. as well. But it's just it's just so <laughs> nice. And again, I'm not explaining it very well, but in Slug Blaster, there's these things called uh, the progress track, where you, if you're solving a problem, you have to complete certain amount of um, letters in the progress track. And then once it's complete or once it's filled up, then something will happen. And what I quite like with uh, Slug Blaster Turbo is that you could start putting it in on your sheet, but then it would automatically updates all the other sheets so that everyone can see it's not flicking back and forth between things and and what was great about that is that you don't have to share your screen 
for everyone yeah. to see that. And I think, again, it's, it's all these tiny little design choices, but it's so helpful because that means the players can all see themselves. They don't have to worry too much. They only, only need to concentrate on their sheet. They don't need to be going through all these references. And you, like the amount of times right. you, you're staring down at your character sheet, and you're like, well, what can I do? Rather than like looking and yeah. like going, I want to do this. And then yeah. rather justifying from the sheet, you're doing it and then justifying it, which I think is so so valuable yeah no i i've i've just the thing i just keep learning again and again every time i do a play test is just how the story immediately takes over everything mm -hmm. and no matter how simple you've made your rules no matter how simple you've tried to make everything a good 50 percent of them are going to be completely ignored because mm -hmm. the table is just instantly more interested in the story they're telling than any of your rules or mechanics so that's why I just kept going simpler and simpler and tried to make things easier and easier because I just was like, every time I'd run things, I'd realize like, oh, they didn't even touch this mechanic or they didn't even look at this ability or they didn't even read this thing. Like, because of course they didn't. There's something more interesting happening right there, right? They're, they're more interested in their, that their best friend is, um, isn't listening to them or something, right? Like mm. in, in the story, they're more interested in the relationships and the, and the action of the actual story. So it's not like players are dumb and you have to make dumb things down, but you do have to shrink things down into really bite-sized forces just because they have so much other stuff that's more important things to think about. And especially the GM, mm. I, I really believe that the more you can do as a designer to serve the GM, mm. the better and more popular your game will be because the GM's the one who's going to run it, who's going to pick it, who's going to talk about it to their friends and like the GM is the one you have to court really. And mm -hmm. the easier you can make that game um, running that game for them, the better. Mm -hmm. um, that's why I put so much um, into the GM section of that, of that game, just because I just wanted the GM to have every tool they could mm -hmm. to run that game. Um, the only thing I really, I think I would still maybe add is even just a fully written like pre-written adventure for mm. GMs who really just want to get up and go, but that's not really um, the convention with Forge and the Dark games. No. They're, it's much more about um, about improvising, which you know. And so I sort of just left it. But I think I still I still might look into that one day because um, I have heard that one of the sort of criticisms that Forge in the Dark does get is that it can be really tough to GM because you have to make a lot of arbitrations. Um, Mm. It, in the moment with where where essentially you know each encounter you're almost designing your own little game because you're 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 picking how long those clocks are or those mm. progress tracks and you sort of have to you know come up with that it it, it kind of is a designer's game um mm. it, for the gm it sort of expects a bit of that designer's mind on mm -hmm. the gm and I, I just and that's fine but i think i'd like if i can make it easier and easier on the gm so that an, even a, a new gamer could run it mm. then that would be the ultimate goal right is like if mm. i could give this to my to my mom and sisters and they well my one sister is a gamer but my other one if mm. i could give it to them and they could figure out how to play it then you know you've made something that is you know is actually accessible there's something between having a written module which is like 200 pages long like a dnd yeah. book and then like yeah. half a page which is a sort of story beats and it's yeah. getting that balance right and i think that's what i really liked about your one-shot premises so in obviously in slugmaster turbo you had here's some ideas and there was just a paragraph and then here are some yeah. major npcs here are some major corporations you need to know about and then you can just weave stuff in it and i think those having prompts like that is so helpful to like you said gms who are like they just need to be prodded in the right direction and i think yeah 
again, I know it's very self-congratulating on this point, so I appreciate it. People are like, ah, oh. but it's, but it's <laughs> what I liked about it was just like I could pick these things, and I just spent half an hour just writing, like, okay, great, and then, then you had something, yeah. and then when, when eventually, as you said, the Fortune of Dark Games players can just sort of go off and do their own thing. Yeah, it's you don't have to necessarily justify it. You do have a plan, but you can always go back to it and. Yes. You don't have to stick as religiously as you would do to say a pre-written module. Yeah, Forge in the Dark jamming really is about reacting in a, um, more than anything. And really the most important thing a, a GM has to do is just keep serving challenges up to the players, right? Because mm -hmm. that's the only thing that they can't, well, I mean, they even can, but that's the only thing players tend to not do as much for themselves as provide themselves obstacles and challenges. That's all you really need to do as a GM. They can tell the rest of the story, you know, they can come up with their goals. They can come up with their plan and you just have to throw um, wrenches into it and, and watch them deal with it. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, you know, you're, you are their humble servant and your job is to serve them plate after plate of trouble and snakes, you know, just, <laughs> just all sorts of terrible things that they have to deal with. And, and, and if you can do that, you, you've got the first, that's the, that's the main thing a GM has to do. So that's why I put a whole section of just problems in the GM's guide is just like a, a bunch of tables just so that you're never short of bad things to give the players, you know. I kind of mentioned it before, but I just, there's something very positive about Slug Blaster. Like you, compared to like, like I said, with when you have um, Blades in the Dark and that system, sometimes it can be very grim, dark from the setting. And this is probably the first yeah. one I'd seen, which is like, yeah, it's a competition, you know, or, or competitive environment and you have like old rivals and stuff. But ultimately it is very much good guys win throughout, but it's, and you explore new places. And it's like, that's the one thing I, I again, self-congratulate you on it, but there's the little tidbits of world building you had. So like, uh, I will never say it right. It's a problem. I always say it wrong at the last minute, but it's popularia. Is that the one? Yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah, popularity. I just so the idea of this world is just full of like the coolest people, and it just looks amazing. Yeah. And yeah. I've, in my head, I had this idea of like it's a fisheye view of <laughs> of this world, and you're just like that'd be so cool to go enjoy it because it's just again a simple paragraph description and some ideas of what could be there, like some structures and stuff. Yeah, and the same with like the golden jungle and null, this just this void and stuff like that, and. I just like that these are like little off points that they could go visit, but then you can make your own and you just, you don't need that much description because like you said, you give them that prompt and the players can yeah. then fill in the rest themselves because it's all about the storytelling and flavors and stuff. So Yeah, I find that stuff so rewarding to write too because mm. I, I love world building but it's nice in a game that you don't have to, you don't have to fill in everything. Like you can, you can just write the parts that you're really excited about and give that synopsis and then people can take it and do with it whatever they they want right i mean mm -hmm. i just had someone say so is popularia really a different universe or is it like <laughs> a wormhole to just the big city mm. that um that these kids from hillvooth think it is another universe because and i i thought that was such a great interpretation that's not that's the way awesome. i i originally thought of it yeah. but i i think that it like i i do imagine popularia with like a different colored sky for example mm. but but i thought that's a great interpretation and they are free to do that you know and um and that's yeah it's so fun to write those little things because they're not long you mm. just pack them with color and little little details that they can you try to provide little details that 
each themselves is like a spore for for a whole story and then and but then they get to write those write those stories so yeah we'll, we'll move on ever so slightly because obviously we've talked a lot about Soulbluster. yeah so yeah. You, you mentioned before like obviously with uh rpgs that some people do read them rather than play yeah. them stuff i wanted to know like is there any particular rpgs that you've read or run that you're like not necessarily inspired Slugbluster, but inspire you or you like really running or reading yeah, I um well I love I love Fiasco. That was oh, pretty so much my first indie RPG, I think. Mm-hmm. Um and it really opened my eyes to a lot of things, you know, like just so many things that could be different, like GMless play and mm-hmm. and just a completely different structure of a game and it also just I I was so fascinated by that that genre emulation, you know, like emulating that very niche very narrow genre of a Coen Brothers movie, which is such a specific thing and does have such a specific structure. Mm-hmm. And that was so exciting to me because I'm very, I love sort of the structure of the, these small little like sub sub genres i find Mm. that stuff fascinating so seeing that oh oh yeah you can codify this into a game and like Mm. and that's so that's so great and um so i i love that um i love grant howitt's one page games and and really all one page games they're so fun to read because you just you know you get to see this one single idea expressed in on a page and just all and you can sort of you can really see how it's working you know like a lot of times with a big game it's hard to zoom out and see how all the mechanics work Mm. together to create a specific kind of story but with a one-page game it's it's very right there right so it's Mm -hmm. uh it's fun to do and um i love horror games i I like cthulhu dark and and fear itself Mm. um again a lot of really careful genre emulation in those games um same with knight's black agents which Mm. is a little uh, probably a little too crunchy for my table but i guess we'll see because i'm going to be running it probably next year for my for my group but i i just love the world building that uh Ken Height does in that and it's just really fun to read that stuff at the very least so that's an, another example of how you know there is a lot of the value of that game um is just in the in the reading and reading this really cool world with a lot of real world history and locations and then seeing how how the author weaves vampires into it I, I think that stuff's really fun yeah I you know I I was, I was thinking I've got it but yeah, Knights, I've got Knights Black Agents solo ops. Yeah, I have that too. Yeah, I've got, I've, yet, I've yet to play it, but it looks so much fun. Oh yeah, it's good. I've, I've ran I ran that over play by post with a friend for um just wow. we've just done half a chapter and um yeah it's it's really good. I I think that that might be the great sort of culmination like or almost like the it it seems like they really figured out a lot of things about that spy genre um mm. in that book. So yeah, that's cool. I totally agree. Like when you said fiasco, my eyes lit up and I was like, oh, yes. Because, yeah, I think I've only ran it uh, once or twice, Mm -hmm. but you with different players and obviously different play settings with it obviously again if you've not uh yeah. played fiasco you basically everyone gets a chance to have a scene with someone else and it's very dependent on how you are playing that character and your wants and needs stuff that yeah. means that you succeed or fail rather than dice rolls and again maybe it's not for the people people who are beginning to get into rpgs and they're not too sure about it but my goodness if you are into role playing or, or improvisation or if you're a little bit of an actor in you it is so much fun just to like commit to these characters who are so flawed and so Mm -hmm. sometimes are selfish and out for their own things and then have a twist after the first act as it were and then you have to go around twice more and somehow get out of it and it's just something delicious about it and again i think both games i've played and and helped run i thought to myself afterwards god this could be like a proper book and i don't think you necessarily get that 
all the time with RPGs. Because sometimes, you know, again, if it gets too crunchy, sort of that goes away from the story. But something yeah. about Fiasco is just absolutely, absolutely beautiful. So yeah, that's why I was like, oh, yes, Fiasco. Yeah. <laughs> I swear that the writers of the Fargo TV series mm. have been playing that game because some of the some of the Fargo TV series like arcs are like Ex- like perfectly um lined up with the structure of fiasco and so it's 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 amazing but yeah i i agree i think it's a good it really depends on if you're gonna introduce new players to rpgs you got to figure out are they the kind of person who um role playing will be the big challenge for them or who complex game mechanics will be the big challenge because if they're people who who are like actors and improvisers fiasco is a perfect introductory rpg for them because they there's hardly any rules they can just pick it up and go mm-hmm. it's basically slightly elaborated theater sport right yeah. but if they're if they're people who role playing is going to be the thing that is not a good game to get to introduce them to it's like throwing them into the deep end i made the mm-hmm. mistake of doing that with my wife stephanie who like that was the first rpg she ever played and mm-hmm. she was just like so overwhelmed at the mm-hmm. idea of of three people looking at her and going okay now write a scene from nothing right now in front of us you know and yeah. make it good like it, yeah it's we're very, judging you yeah yeah exactly it's very daunting and so so she that was when i learned like okay yeah you got to really figure out what is the whereas me and her play um this board game called fog of love which is oh yes which is great but and it it has it has a, a very light role-playing elements and it's actually a great um introductory rpg for someone who's on the other side like like my wife is where you know she she's fine with complicated tabletop games but the role-playing stuff is a stuff that she needs sort of to be nurtured and mm-hmm. and brought into carefully right and so um mm-hmm. and so yeah but yeah fiasco is just great especially if you have a bunch of yeah like jokesters in your group right yeah so, definitely yeah and yeah i just uh, yeah and again i'm like oh, fog of love yeah i've got that in the other room i've played with my partner a few times and it, first yeah. of all, it's such a beautiful uh, like oh, beautifully illustrated and stuff and it's it's quite nice again because it's like you said there's a lot more rules again in quotation marks but yeah. it's, it's great and again i will say that you don't have to play it with your partner at no. all you can play it with anyone and you still oh, yeah. get an enriching experience from it i think i think that maybe sometimes people are like oh but it's clearly for people who are in, in a couple or, or a relationship and you're like no that's not true at oh all. no 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 yeah you can have a lot of fun no matter what, right? You can. Yeah, I, I've definitely had an argument with my partner after after it because they, they deliberately were like, "I'm just going to say no to everything." I was like, "No, yeah. it's me." <laughs> no, it's beautiful. Me and Steph have played a few times, and sometimes we we yeah, we like yeah, very purposely are like we're going to tell the most heartbreaking like disaster of a romance, <laughs> and, and, and it's really fun. So, what would you say is your top three tips for if they want to start writing either their own stories or their own work or think about game design? Yeah, I would say um, for writing, my my t- main t- t- advice in general is just you know engage the senses with your mm-hmm. writing um, and provide little concrete details as much as you can rather than sort of general abstract things. And especially in game design, especially if you're doing indie games, th- there can be this temptation to... Um, you're worried that you need to account for every option. Um, so, you, you know, you, you want, you're, you want, you want to be able to please everyone and, and make everything as general and versatile as you can, but that's, that's not really the way to go with an indie game. You want to go narrow, you want to go very specific and you want to tell something very colorful and concrete and specific. And then the beauty of RPGs is that you can always put something like, something else as an option and let people write in their own thing. Right. That, that was my big, 
my my favorite thing in writing slow blaster that i figured out is like okay so for in these character details i can just put stuff very out of my own head and like very much just my sensibility in there and then i can just provide the option put a blank space and provide the option for people to write in their own instead Mm -hmm. and that way i get the best of both worlds i get to tell my story but i also provide a way for people can always can they can always veer off and do and do their own thing right Mm -hmm. and you know what from all the play tests i've seen people sometimes use that blank but a lot of times they're happy to play with the details that i provided that are very much out of my own head and my own experience and that you know they're happy to 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 play in in that world right and so Mm -hmm. so you know if you're a designer like don't be afraid of leaning into to your little weird things like you you don't have to water it all down for everyone else right you can it, it there are pgs people can always break the rules if they want to or you know i had someone who really wanted to use rollerblades instead of a hoverboard and they're completely free to do that there was nothing stopping them um they just all they had to do is say it and they and they mm-hmm. did it you know and like it was that that easy so that'd be my main piece of advice is mm-hmm. to get really specific and then also yeah like i think i already mentioned this keep in mind that game books are both a technical manual and a piece of art and you're always going to be balancing those two things and you're never going to get the balance perfect but um but if you're the more you're aware of it the more clear and enjoyable the process will be for you to at least in writing it to take whatever idea you have and, and make the smallest smallest version of it first because mm. game design can swallow years and years of your life if you're not careful <laughs> it's yeah it, everything takes 10 to 20 times longer than you think it's going to take. So mm-hmm. I, I would really suggest that if someone's going to write something, don't, don't write a book first, write a, write a story based mm-hmm. a short story about your idea first as a test. And the same way, if you're making a game, try a one page version version of your game first as a test. I, I, I kind of wish I had, I had made slug blaster turbo first rather than after the, I sort of made the full game just cause it, I would have had more fun getting it out to people sooner. Um, but you know, that's live, you live and learn. So I think yeah, that's what I'll probably be doing in the future is making a small thing first and then mm. going from there. So what a great segue. I was going to ask, have you got any of the, <laughs> I know obviously you're working on slug blaster now with the kids yeah. start to finish and everything yeah. like that, but do you have any, are you got any other projects you've got bubbling away at the back that you're going to, you're thinking yeah, of, or yeah. is that too far in the future yet? No, no, that's exactly how I would word it. Like I've, I've cleared the counter for slug blaster, but I have a couple, I, I have things bubbling away for sure. I think it'd be fun to make a, a quick hack of slug blaster about uh, like girls with horses going on adventures oh where goodness. like the, <laughs> the signature device instead would be the horse. And I'd make it like a coloring page that people can like just color their horse and, and they'd probably be a, well, probably a little one shot thing or something, mm. but um, that, yeah, I, I just need a, I have a couple people that have reached out to me, but I, so I, uh, about this now, but yeah, I, I really just need to, I need to find someone I can write it with who knows, more about being a girl and also horses than me but um <laughs> or i would love to, for someone to write that even just with my like oversight and mm. and get blessing even i'd be happy for that i just want to see that game because my daughter really loves that terrible spirit tv show on netflix mm-hmm. <laughs> but I know exactly is, what you mean. <laughs> yeah she loves it and i'm I'll, I'll be watching it with her and i'm just thinking like oh this is just like western girls slug blaster and i, I like i was like this will yeah this could make a very easy um hack and so my main sort of idea for a future game is that I want to make a game about the raunchy teen stoner quest sort of buddy comedy movie, nice. like super bad or book smart the game basically. Yes. And uh, 
Um, yeah, Booksmart is a great film if you've not oh, seen that film. I love, so I love that movie. I love it so much. Oh. And the, the, those again are these sort of very specific, formulaic sub 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 genre of movies where it's always like the same thing. They're trying to get to the party or or whatever, and it's it's about two friends who've been friends for a long time, but there are they're starting to drift apart, and this big adventure that they have to go on is what sort of breaks their friendship at first, and then and then helps them realize the power of friendship in the end. It's always the same lesson and it's, it's there and they're really fun. And it's just, uh, you know, a lot of like gross out humor and, and humiliation um, challenges and things like that. So it would be a fun game to try to make um, like a, a, a one shot. And uh, yeah, I, I definitely see that as a, almost like a two player sort of thing. With yeah. Games, it w- yeah. I think yeah. it'd be two to three players that max a so third, because it's almost always two players in the mo- two people in the movie. And if there's a third, it's always like sort of the wild card, like the McLovin would yes. be like the third. Uh, so yeah, it'd be two to three players and then, uh, and a GM probably. So. I don't think I've ever, like, obviously you hear about random RPGs about that. I've yet yeah. to see that. That'd be awesome. I would love to play a book smarts inspired yeah. RPG. Cause that's, oh yeah. I've got to rewatch that film now. Cause that's such a yeah, good film. <laughs> for sure. I did a content analysis of, of that genre it recently in it for a class. And, <laughs> uh, and as I was doing it, I was like very much just thinking about how I would make a game out of it. So <laughs> it was just like, yeah, it was, nice. so I've been sort of fascinated with that genre for a while, probably because I wasn't allowed to watch any of those movies movies when I was a kid so now mm. I'm like <laughs> so, now, so now you're like absorbing them all <laughs> yeah exactly it's the same reason I made slug blaster I, I probably didn't have a very cool teenage experience I was just <laughs> sort of a nerd and so I uh so you know I think that's part of it <laughs> too deep too deep no no <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> I wanted to get your sort of predictions for like because obviously this is your f- main foray into role-playing yeah. games I'm wondering what you think that the future of role-playing games would be like what like is there any trends or anything that you're like oh this will yeah. become a big thing because obviously you've you've now created your own game and i just wondered if there's any you've got any predictions perhaps in the next five maybe ten years of rpgs which i know sounds like a huge because uh, things change so quickly but out of just out of interest really yeah well you know things change quickly but i think tabletop stuff is kind of slow because mm. tabletop games take so long to write that a lot of times it's actually kind of easier to predict that than it would be to predict like other things like tech maybe or something but mm. um I don't know. I think the main, because I still think, you know, this sort of seems like old news, but I think the actual play movement is going to still be the driving force. And Mm -hmm. and I think what you'll start to see is more games designed with that actual play um, experience in mind. Mm -hmm. So, so sort of what we just talked about with this buddy comedy thing is I think there'll be more games that are designed for a smaller player count because you're now thinking about games that have an audience right so an act because usually when you play a role-playing game the traditional setting you and your fellow players are the audience you're each other's audience right Mm -hmm. and so it's good to have a a few people and it can sometimes feel a little awkward playing a game with only two or three other people Mm -hmm. but if you have an actual audience listening in I think that it feels different and having a smaller player count can maybe make for a better listening experience um, sometimes too, because it's more like what uh, a typical movie, um, how Mm -hmm. a typical movie would be cast, right? With, with just a couple characters that bounce off each other or whatever. So I think there might be more games that are designed for smaller player groups, Mm -hmm. maybe stuff with, that involve even like crowd participation mechanics for Mm -hmm. live streaming, you know, like um, where crowds vote on things and that's Mm -hmm. integrated into the game. Um, and then I think also related to that, probably 
probably start to see more of a blur between tabletop games and like video games and and virtual tabletop platforms all sort of blurring together things i know i saw some i was trying to dig it up there i saw something on kickstarter recent, recently which was it's sort of it's like a video game but you play it with friends and it's meant to be like you're meant to role play while you play it but and the gm kind of sets it up so it's i don't know if you ever played neverwinter nights back in the day but they had a mode where you could the GM, you could do a gm mode and build a dungeon and then have players run mm. through it that was like a you know very proto proto oh, version of this but okay but cool. i think there might be more things like that where we're kind of like what you said as more people are playing online um anyways i think there'll be more things that are using digital tools and it just integrating them into the role-playing experience. Cause there's not, there's no reason that, that dice and paper have to be joined with the act of telling a story together, like where all of the mechanics are video game mechanics, but the convention is, is built around people telling a story together, you know, while they play it. So, so there might be more things like that mm-hmm. coming out. Um, and then if you could integrate that, right alongside like you know the the rest of the platform that you know with um the even with the chats and and the streaming and stuff all together you might see more stuff like that um Mm -hmm. and i think just in general we're playing games are just going to get more and more mainstream and Mm -hmm. and just going to keep growing because you know um hopefully beyond D D, but but um which i'm i'm of the school that any any new player is 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 welcome even if they play D for 15 years before venturing into indie rpgs i'm fine with that that's what i did mm-hmm. um i think that's i think that's totally fine so i'm just happy to have anyone in the hobby but mm-hmm. i think that's inevitable that that they'll, it'll just keep growing i mean i think there's a D movie coming out now i just yes, saw something about it i did see that you know, <laughs> exact like you know and and you know if it's even if it's even halfway's good that will bring a lot of new people to it and um mm-hmm. all it would take is for one of these really big actual plays to even do one season where they play an indie game or do a yep. spin-off show and you'd get you'd get thousands of new players trying indie games. So it's I think it's gonna happen and and as it does, it'll become more of a normal art form where it's studied in in schools and just mm-hmm. like just like the novel and the comic book and everything before you know people used to laugh at the idea that movies would ever be studied in university and now you know that's a whole thing and yeah well now, well, now they're studying so, like how video games are designed and how they make you feel yeah and stuff. exactly so, so yeah absolutely abs- and and it all sh- and it all should be it's a they're all games are a wonderful art form and i think they'll be they're very worthy of study and rpgs too so thousand percent agree with you I, I do like the idea that like you said like it'll be a lower player count and stuff a, a friend of mine chloe she started doing just uh, just streaming uh single player games solo actual yeah. plays yeah. and she does it in a she's a very uh, a tech savvy person yeah. uh, she works in the theater so she'll have like uh, open broadcast system filters and do lots of stuff but yeah. because it's as most people who've played solo rpgs they are quite personal and stuff so to share that experience yeah. it's almost like theater and you're watching Absolutely. it and yeah. it's, inter- it's interesting what you said about the chat as well for me i i've had interesting experiences with chats because uh, i don't stream yet but i've definitely played in games which have been streamed and like the gms are distracted by the chats because obviously they yes, don't have a moderator or whatever yeah and that's and again these things happen and stuff but for me i'm definitely a player who just doesn't look at the chat or anything like that but yeah. it, as a, someone who is watching i i mean i've been on panels uh like or seeing seeing a panel or in a zoom call and then typing my comments as i'm yeah. agreeing with someone I, yeah but i guess i guess for me 
I mean, that's such an interesting concept, having a game mechanic, which is the thing that comes to my mind is that, you know, when you play Jackbox games and you have an yeah, audience and they can vote that's right. what they thought was funny or not. That's um, right. Having that in a role-playing game sounds absolutely fascinating. I, I'd, I'd be interested to see how that would work. Again, it'd probably take a lot of playtesting, but it sounds cool. Again, there is this thing I just, my, I could not figure out how to Google and find the name of, but I did see something that is based, that is this. So this does, this does exist. It, and I'm sure one of your listeners will know what I'm talking about, but it's, uh, it, yeah, there, it's sort of this, um, yeah, it's this, this virtual world that you can build and have your players play in. And then, and it does have a, it, at least in the Kickstarter video, it showed a sort of a voting mechanic that the audience could do to like determine determine outcomes and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, so I know there are people thinking about this and working on this, and I think it'll be really really exciting to see how how it works and the mm-hmm. the hobby evolves. I mean, you know, it, it's it might be it might even be useful to think of this at a lot like sports. You know, if you think of sports, mm-hmm. there's sport as in the game you're playing with your friends, but then there's sports as in the thing you watch with your friends Mm -hmm. and you watch professionals do. That's what we're almost seeing happening Mm -hmm. in this hobby. And, and so maybe, maybe we can look to sports to sort of see glimpses of what the future might hold and stuff even i don't know but yeah i think that's actually a really good analogy i guess i guess the only thing is obviously there's no necessary a winner in role-playing games that's right yeah i mean maybe so maybe esports followed that route and this was a little more yeah you're right this is more like like more like theater as well right it's more Mm -hmm. like a sort of lot so maybe maybe we should see what what sort of avant-garde participatory theater is doing and stuff Mm -hmm. to get to get fun ideas Oh, fantastic. Well, sadly, we've come to the end. Yeah. Of our, yeah we've, we've talked so much about, oh, I want to keep talking. It's so exciting. <laughs> yeah, so I guess, I guess I've just, loved this. Oh, no, thank you so much, Mikey. So I guess we'll just round off. Uh, where can we find your work? Where can we get Slug Blaster? And where, can sure. we, where are you on the internet? Sure, yeah. Um, if, you, if you go to MikeyHam.com, you can find some of my stories and um, videos and different things I've worked on. And if you go to SlugBlaster.com, you can find links to, to everything Slug Blaster and you can get the you can get Slug Blaster Turbo right now um, and uh, the full game will come out in this, this summer and there'll be pre-orders available for that coming up. And then, um, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of on Twitter here and there. Uh, I'm, I don't, I don't go on it a lot, but I'm at, on Twitter at, at Mikey, maybe. Yeah. I, I just want to say thanks so much for, for talking and also for running Slug Blaster. I, I, I've only listened to part one cause that's all that's out right now. Yep. Um, <laughs> as of this recording but mm-hmm. um but i've just loved it you're you're an amazing gm and it's so oh, fun listening to uh listening to it play and i also love um i love boundaries and foundries because mm. I, I i i know i've obviously know what lines and veils but i i love that foundries thing that's such a great way to to sort of prime the pump right yes. and get and get Ah, oh, that's that's so great. I love and what a, and it's a nice way to like a sort of a nice positive bookend to mm. to after doing the necessary but because sometimes sometimes depressing work of lines and veils to then go into foundries of a, like you know so it's it's so that's so great um yeah well, so i'm you. really i'm really enjoying it thank you so much Brilliant. well I'll, I'll quickly explain what foundries are thank you so much for bringing it up yeah, so i, I have something i have something i learned in improv there's a book called the improviser's way by katie shoot which mentions it as with all these things it's like it credits another person who's invented yes this. of course yeah but as, as we said so obviously boundaries and lines and veils is a safety tool used in rpgs which is ho- 
hopefully something that I'm definitely trying to bring in more and more to games uh, as we go along. I, I used to use them anyway, but I used to edit the audio out because I was like, I need to concentrate yeah. on the game session. But actually going forward, it's something that is fairly important just to remind people but so you know, lines and veils essentially yeah. a, a line is as a topic we don't cross it's never going to come into the rpg at all a veil is something that can be in the background but we don't focus it's not the main focus of the story so it avoids any uh un- uncomfortable topics and stuff as you said mikey it's one of those things where a lot of people go well i don't like this and i don't want this to happen oh this could happen to someone else but not me and yeah. it, it can so- sometimes it can suck the energy out of the room a little bit because you're ready to play but you've got to be like oh i don't want to upset or or disrespect someone or anything like that and that's totally yeah. understandable i also know as a as a gm what i've my experience has also been i you know like the imp of the mind like that like that don't don't think about pink elephants thing yes. that often happens to me when people are like telling me their lines i'm just like oh this is for some reason my now my brain can only think of the stories that would go in that way and it's it's a, like obviously i never do that and it's a terrible thing but it, it can really get in your head as a gm too mm. um and so yeah so go on then foundries solves that problem yeah, yeah. so foundries again uh, it's basically it's something really positive something you want to see in the game uh so for for us we talked about like you know silly things like there's gonna be a complete wipeout of like a cool there's gonna be rival gangs there's gonna be a big epic chasing which again yeah. uh, again if, like we've talked about slug blaster all these things are naturally going to come up but it's quite nice to be like oh they know exactly what they want but you can have silly things like somebody wanted a, a hitchhiker's guide reference yeah bum bags or fanny packs to come up <laughs> which is such a, a nice random thing and that, that yeah. was a really lovely bonding moment um yeah. but it can be absolutely anything it doesn't matter how big or small and what's nice about it as well is that if you can't think of one it might you might come back to you later and you can just yeah. like oh i'd love this to happen and then the idea yeah. is that if it does come up or the opportunity does come up all the players make a, cont- a an effort towards it and what i do find is that even if when you mention it at the beginning at some point whether you intended it or not sometimes a player will be like oh yeah and this happens and you're like that's fine that's perfect but suddenly people be like oh and then they work together and it, yep. it's almost as if it's like again like improv it's like they've magically put it in that's there right. the brain is so good at that as especially the collective brain at, at, at you know you know you you give it even a, a hazy goal and it will veer towards it and so that's such a great way to sort of to sort of just um, to just set your game off in the right direction, you know. I, mm-hmm. I, I thought that was really good. I'm going to be using that for sure. So. Oh, brilliant! Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad. Oh, oh yeah. Katie Shute, who wrote the Improvisers Way, she'll be very happy yeah. that Foundry's okay. come out. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Mikey. Yeah, thank uh, you. For talking to me. Yeah, thanks so much. I'm hoping to do more of these special bonus Q&A episodes in future, including Q&As on the one shots we've run here at What Am I Rolling. If you have a question you'd like to send in, please send them along to the following email address. That's whatamirollingpodcast at gmail.com. And that's it. Great. See you next time.